Welcome back to The Short Game, a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by all of my awesome co-hosts this week. Laura Nash, how are you doing, Laura? I'm doing excellent. And Nate Heininger, how are you doing, Nate? I am doing fantastic, and happy birthday to both you and Shane. We are happy recording birthday. on we are recording oh, on their birthdays. They have Aww. such commitment. Such commitment to our show that they've taken away time away from their day long party. I mean they have been <laughs> week long party, let's be honest. Reagan's wearing a Hawaiian shirt, though that's not totally out of the ordinary anyway. And Shane has a party hat on and they've they've come out from their parties to record a show about interactive fiction. So it's been a you. bit of a rager. I've insisted that my raucous party all be quiet in the background while we record, yes. and then we'll return to our rager. Uh, yeah, thanks so much, Nate. And of course, Shane, you are with me as well. Happy birthday, my bro host, Shane. Happy birthday to me and you. Yeah. And uh, every year around our birthday, I am given a little gift, which is IF Comp. If you are new to the show or you haven't been listening for very long, uh, you may not be familiar with IF Comp, but we've covered it every year now for several years, since 2015, actually. So, wow. Um, and IF Comp itself has been around for a very long time for so I don't have the the number in front of me at the moment but IF comp has been going every year for like decades started in the 90s right all the way back in 1995 1995 so if you're not familiar with IF comp it is a competition for IF interactive fiction and if that doesn't sound very familiar interactive fiction uh, the very brief description is interactive fiction is one of the oldest sort of mediums of video games if you go back to the 80s and you remember there's some games like adventure or zork in which you'd be typing commands to a parser and getting your uh, playing your game by telling it what you want to do in text and then getting the uh, world of the game described back to you in text without graphics that's the heart of IF. Now that is a form that has expanded over decades of experimentation, new ideas, uh, and it includes all sorts of different types of games now, but mostly we're talking about games that are primarily driven through text, uh, not graphics. And uh, it can include anything from uh, puzzle games and adventure games all the way over to very uh, literary things that are more intended to uh, uh, to uh, do what literature does <laughs> instead of uh, <laughs> instead of like providing challenge nice. through puzzles or or what have you. We're ready to give some very good critiques of this doing what literature does. <laughs> uh, other things about the contest, I think they have to all come in at two hours or under. Mm. I here, believe here. not not necessarily, yeah. but your so the the uh, the rules of the contest are everybody has to be all of the games have to be brand new so these are all games that are released as part of the competition they tend to be short that's not an actual requirement but the judging rules are that people are supposed to decide their rating for the game after playing 2 hours the game can be longer than 2 hours if they want but in terms of the judging the game can be you're supposed to judge the game once you've either completed it or played 2 hours whatever comes first which means that most of these games are very short well if it comes in at over 2 hours you probably won't hear about it on this podcast i don't know i played a couple of games this year that i think i played for 4 hours or more oh no way yeah so That's some uh, some pretty long games high this praise year praise if you stuck with it that long i yeah. can't wait to hear about them so we're going to cover as many games as we can over the course of the comp. Uh, the deal is that you can judge if you play five games. So we're all going to try to play five games for the end. 
because we always like being judges and we encourage you to also join in and judge. It's not like uh, you need to pass a test. You just have to play the games. But some things to keep in mind about our coverage, we try to play games that people point us to that's good or that looked interesting to us. But uh, I wouldn't look at this list as a definitive, these are the good games of the comp. There's going to be plenty of gems we overlook. If you guys play something that you like, tell us about us. We'll try to cover it or we'll just try to play it before the end of the comp and judge it. And we will be doing multiple episodes. So if you don't hear something you're excited about, again, shout out to us. Let us know. We'll try to do uh, at least one before the end of the comp so we can point you toward things we think are interesting or notable um, or just things we think are worth commenting on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Also, as someone who had never really played interactive fiction until we started covering this, that may be like one of you listening right now, uh, the my three co-hosts had all been playing interactive fiction for a long time. I have always been a big reader, but for whatever reason, interactive fiction never sounded that exciting to me. Um, and I can say the interactive fiction competition has completely changed my mind on that. This is one of my favorite things that we do every year. Um, these games accomplish something that most that a lot of video games can't, or at least the stories they tell and the way they tell them require this type of format. Uh, it's really interesting, and these are some really creative people that are making these games basically for free and just putting them out there, um, and they're worth playing, and they're worth our support. So give it a shot. Uh, you know, if you've if this is your first time listening to this episode, I know that we have a lot that we already really, really liked. So if you hear one that we are talking about, sounds fun, sounds interesting, try it out. It It's free. There, most of them are web-based so you don't have to download anything i played several of these on my iphone i played some of them on my laptop it's super low barrier to entry with these games give it a shot i bet you'll like it yeah and um you know play some of the stuff that we talk about liking on this episode but also use that random button on the uh on the uh, judging ballot or list of games on the website and just try stuff. Some of the best experiences I've had with IF comp have been going in completely blind to something that maybe even didn't sound interesting on the tin from the little icon graphic or the description. Sometimes these things really surprise you. And because there is such a low barrier to entry and like a low barrier to like trying something out for a minute and seeing if it's something that you find intriguing and if not bounce to something else just try stuff and let us know what you think is good. There are 77 games in this year's IF comp. That isn't the highest it's ever been. I think it was like 78 last year, but like that shows that this competition, which has been going since the nineties is last year was not a fluke. This game, this competition is getting bigger all the time. Yeah. Also to, to that point, so it's a competition, right? And they have prizes and for a long time, people would just donate like odds and ends and whoever won got to pick like their favorite thing from the list. Yeah. Like a like, book or uh, uh, like, <laughs> or like a piece of software or something. Yeah. A, yeah a memorabilia from uh, the old 1980s uh, IF. Yeah. Stuff and like and that. that was always fun. And I think it definitely, you know, added to like the community aspect of it, but it was also, I felt like maybe a little anticlimactic to win the whole thing. And then you got like, <laughs> a, you know, a cool poster. Mostly bragging um, rights, I'd imagine. But yeah, yeah I, I think so. But like that was all fun. And it's a it's a tight knit community. So it's mostly about fun and not about prizes. But now it's becoming even more about prizes. They've started a like a crowdfunding um, fund for 
for the winners that I think is up to almost $9,000 now. Yeah. Uh, which is not a small chunk of change for an indie, you know, writer. So, uh, the game, th- this contest is growing, not just in popularity, but also like, I don't know, intensity. Like that's, that's a lot of money. And I know it gets split out to different things, but like, there's actually a real outcomes to this thing now. And it's only going to, it seems to only be growing from there. So check it out. It's worthwhile. Tarita, want to go ahead and dive into games? Sure. Yep. Okay, let's play games. Starting out with a bang, uh, the first game that I played for the competition this year, and this is mostly just because I was sort of looking down the list alphabetically and stopped when I saw something that sounded exciting or sounded like my bag. I think this is probably going to be in the, near the top of a lot of people's lists this year. Uh, I played Alias the Magpie. Uh, by J.J. Guest. J.J. Guest is uh, is a returning author to the competition. He's done some cool interactive fiction in the past. Um, and Sounds like a pseudonym? It, it I don't know. Maybe it is. But uh, Alias the Magpie is very much about pseudonyms. It's a parser-based game. So uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of different sort of formats or forms. And I don't want to belabor this because folks who have been playing IF for years might find this a little boring. But to explain, um, we're going to be talking about uh, some, some games that are parser games. That is the more traditional style of IF where you're typing commands into a parser. Things like go north, get lamp. Um, and we're also going to be talking about more choice-based games, things that are made with tools like Twine. Um, there are some really great standout games in sort of both formats or camps this year. And there are sometimes even little surprises that don't seem to fit neatly into either. Um, Alias the Magpie is very traditional in its format. So if you have played uh, other parser-based IF games, like last year's winner, The Wizard Sniffer, this game is going to be pretty familiar. But it's a really nice, really well-executed traditional IF mystery game. And I really, really like this one because first of all, I I tend to like these styles of games a lot. I like parser games and I particularly like ones that have a good sense of humor and that maybe have puzzles, but don't really stymie you with like intense, difficult puzzles. Uh, I mean, I've talked many times on this show about how I'm sort of a puzzle dunce. (laughs) I'm kind of slow. And for a a game to really work for me, it has to have like a good hint system and be kind of on my level with puzzles. And this game definitely was that. Uh, So Alias the Magpie uh, is set in a old manor house in England. It's a very Britishy kind of game. And it's sort of a pastiche of British detective stuff and gentleman thief stuff. So you play as Sir Rodney Playfair, alias the Magpie. And he, the Magpie, is a gentleman thief who sneaks into places and steals valuable things from the upper crust of British society, right? So already I'm on board. That sounds like great fun. And uh, it plays out really, really well. Uh, the, the the writing is very uh, quippy and fun and Britishy. Um, it has all the stuff that I think makes these kinds of games work for me. So it has a good hint system. Pretty much any time in the game, you can uh, use the verb think about or consider. Uh, you could say like consider the spoon and it will tell you something about the spoon that will either give you a hint or tell you, you don't need to worry about it. So it might say something like, you know, the spoon uh, doesn't seem particularly important for now or something like that. Or it might say, uh, the spoon seems like it might help with blank character or blank situation. It's never a very specific hint, but it'll try and help you tie things together. And you can ask nice. for hints or or think about or consider any character or room or object and even many sort of concepts in the game. And it'll give you something reasonably helpful. 
So it's got a good hint system going for it, which I very much appreciated. Uh, it also has really great characters. So the thing that I liked best about this is that you're playing as uh, Sir Rodney Playfair, alias the Magpie, but he has many, many disguises, many, uh, many personas that he's playing. So the very first scene, you're overhearing a conversation in which a uh, psychoanalyst, Dr. Drake, is talking to uh, Lord Hamst- Hamster. That's the 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 Lord of, of Buncombe Hall uh, on the phone. And uh, he's Dr. Drake is being summoned to Lord Hamster's estate to uh, psychoanalyze the Lord's wife's brother who has gone mad. And so you're sneaking in under the disguise of Dr. Drake. You cancel the appointment with Dr. Drake, but then go in disguise as Dr. Drake yourself. So to Lord Hamster, you are Dr. Drake, the psychoanalyst, but Lord Hamster asks you, please don't tell my wife that you're here to psychoanalyze her brother and tells you to to be in disguise to the lady as uh, Hermes Perroquet, the Belgian detective. <laughs> and so uh, and then there's there's others as well that come up in various circumstances, like you uh, disguise yourself as a gardener and so on. So you have you have these different disguises. You have to literally take off mustaches and put on beards, that kind of thing. Um, and so you're playing different characters to different NPCs in the game, constantly switching back and forth, which is super fun and, and really involved in puzzles. And do you actually have to go through their outfit and like take off? Oh one yes, garment and put on another. Like a sitcom, amazing. You have to Delightful. find an uh, find an empty room, take off the mustache, and put on the beard. <laughs> that kind of thing, um, which is great. And all of the characters are really, um, really fun. I would say, like, not quite as incredibly well realized as like last year's winner, uh, the uh, the Wizard Sniffer. But it's hard to really approach that game. That was uh, stunning. But this game, the the NPCs are all really colorful and, and well-realized, um, particularly Lord and Lady Hamster, and also uh, the brother whose name is escaping me at the moment. But he's uh, he's gone mad, and he's under the impression that he is uh, exploring the Congo. And so he's always, like, dashing into a room with a, a machete and, like, yelling something about snakes and, and slicing arsenic up the... Arsenic and Old Lace style. Oh, oh my gosh, I love that's it. That's what I was... I was thinking Arsenic and Old Lace as well. Yeah, like, actually, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. I didn't think of that at the time, but you're absolutely right. It's very much like that. And he plays into a lot of puzzles because, you know, things like you've got to... Uh, trick him into thinking that there's a snake inside the piano so that he destroys it, that kind of thing. Really great stuff. And um, it's very funny, great characters. Uh, I- I'm going to read a couple of quick pieces of text from the game just to give you a sense of the uh, of the, the way the writing works because that's a big draw for, for it. Uh, let's see here. First off, about the names, the Lord, Lord and Lady Hamster, it's actually spelled... H-A-M-C-E-S-T-E-R. And so in the in the help text of the game, it says, a phonological note. A question I'm frequently asked is, how do you pronounce hamster? Hamster is a made-up name, but it follows the pattern of English place names. Lester. Gloucester? I think it's Gloucester. Is that right? Or is mm-hmm. it Gloucester? Uh, Gloucester, yeah. Uh, Worcester. Worcester. Uh, Worcester. Disaster. Uh, yeah, which are all pronounced Lester Gloucester, Worcester, respectively. Likewise, Hamcester is pronounced hamster, like the rodent, which I thought was like a very cute, funny thing. But 
the situations in the game are increasingly absurd. So as you're playing out these different, you're playing these different characters against each other, trying to find ways to disguise yourself as different characters. Um, you have to do increasingly absurd things uh, in this old manor house. And uh, one scene that I, I, I really, really loved, I don't want to go into too much detail about how you get here because it's a bit of a puzzle solution, but one big sort of set piece is that you have to get the Lord's prized bull to go into the house and just wreck shop uh, as a distraction so that you can go into rooms that would otherwise be, uh, you know, closed off to you. And so once you finally get the prized bull into the dining room, the scene unfolding in the saloon reminds you rather vividly of a country dance you once attended. Spark and ho, fully 3,000 pounds of prime muscle, and Hives, the emaciated butler, make a rather odd couple as they do-si-do around the room. The latter appears to be attempting to eject the former from the premises, whilst the former, barely aware of the latter's presence, rampages about, upsetting the furniture and reducing the crockery to a mass of fragments. Lord Hamster, meanwhile, having finally found something more urgent to do than write his speech, stands in the safety of the doorway, surveying the damage and barking orders at his struggling manservant. Put your back into it, man, bellows Hamster. There's a sickening crunch as Spark and Ho steps on a plate that had somehow survived the fall from the dresser. That kind of thing, you get it. Uh, it it's really just a, a fun farce, and it has a great ending that I won't spoil, obviously, but I really enjoyed. So um, I would say this is easily in my top five for this year so far. Uh, I would definitely recommend Alias the Magpie if you like light, fun, funny, parser-based stuff. I played it personally on my iPad in the Frots interpreter app, um, but it also has a web player like all of the uh, inform-based or parser-based stuff on uh, on the page this year. So uh, if you uh, like this style of game, I would say you're very likely to like this one. It's great. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Love a gentleman thief. Who doesn't love a gentleman thief, right? Absolutely. It's classic. Absolutely not. <laughs> so a game that I know you and I have both played, Nate, is yes. a game called Animalia by Ian Michael Waddell. And, uh, you know, I picked this one uh, essentially at random. It fit my kind of time constraint. Um, and I am super glad I did because it is right up my alley. Oh, just as a totally like minor side note for a second. This year is the first year that they've had uh, on the Web page with the ballots. They have for each game a little slug description that says like just what the very vague general genre is like science fiction or fantasy and also how long they estimate the game is and a few other bullet points like whether it's web based um, choice based parser based that sort of thing. Um, Great improvement because it helped me plan out what I was going to be playing anytime I sat down getting that uh, estimate on time in a very clear way um, was great. And I would say that a lot of them were like underestimates. For example, um, uh, Alias the Magpie estimated two hours and I would say it took me three closer to maybe closer to four. Um, but it's a very good guide and uh, it's a big improvement to the way they're presenting the games this year. Sorry to interrupt you, Shane. That's all right. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the features on the site, one of the things they've added that I quite like is uh, something called personal shuffle. Uh, I don't think they had this last year. I think they did. But actually, you can. Yeah. They did. Well, I hadn't. I didn't notice it last year, and I certainly didn't use it. Uh, allows you to uh, get a random order for the games, but it will always give you that same random order uh, as you return to the to the page again and again. So if you're just looking to kind of work your way through a random list, you can keep your place. I quite like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. 
Animalia uh, by Ian Michael Waddell is a choice-based game, uh, but it is one that ha- – I would say but. And it is one that has a lot going for it uh, mechanically. Uh, the theme, however, I think is the real standout here. It's uh, it's very over the top. So I'll just give you the, 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 the basics. Um, you are uh, – the, the scene opens in a – uh, a, a woodland glade uh, where various small woodland animals are discussing amongst themselves their success in their annual festival where they have made a sacrifice to the forest god. <laughs> um, it becomes clear that the sacrifice to the forest god was, in fact, a human child. Uh, oh. When <laughs> when uh, some of the animals come up with the human child's cell phone. Um, oh my god so not, and, not even so an older child yeah right. oh. you know, they, i think they uh they place him at nine years old so yes. i think it's reasonable that he has a cell phone at this point yeah um, kids are getting oh, their cell phones younger, now, younger. <laughs> and uh and in this case if i lived near this forest i would want my child to have a cell phone as well um, <laughs> the uh they they realize that the tracker in the cell phone uh, will soon lead the humans directly to their woodland glade uh, and, uh, you know, some some discussion begins about what they should do. Luckily, they have prepared uh, for this eventuality. Uh, they have constructed a perfect replica of the human child named Charlie. No. Um, and they are going to uh, load four uh, dauntless members of their uh, of their of their society uh, into the replica. <laughs> Uh, one to control the legs, uh, one to control the arms, one for the torso and one for the head. And so you, you make, you make these choices. I'll give you some of these, these choices. Uh, by the way, in the background, as this choice is being introduced, uh, one of the uh, hedgehogs who, who starts to say, maybe we don't need to do this. Maybe, maybe it's the, you know, our increased cooperation and, uh, uh, and intelligence and not the blessings of the forest God that have that have have given us that, that are the true blessings here. Maybe we don't need the forest god, and that hedgehog is promptly dra- dragged off to be beaten to death. Oh no! Um, yeah, yeah. All of, all of this is presented so hilariously. It, it, like it is obviously like they're talking about they've sacrificed a child, and now they've created a replica to return it. And and I get their goal is to basically their only goal is to just divert attention from the forest. Like they know that the kid is dead and it's like, that's going to be, should be a snap. That's going to be the thing. But as long as they can get the attention of the humans away from the forest, they're good. So they, you hire or you choose um, for each one of these slots. and, And that's what we're about to talk about. And it's kind of a core aspect of the game. You pick an animal for each spot and why they should control that spot. And then you are thrust back into society to try to emulate Charlie in his day to day life <laughs> and wow. keep him keep him just like going and convince everyone that he is alive enough that they don't need to go into the forest to look for him and his body because they played a voicemail. I guess it's the a bear is like the leader or one of the leaders. And there's a really funny scene where he throws down the phone and they're listening to voicemails and you hear in the voicemail that the mom is like, why is the tracker showing you're in the forest? What are you doing in the forest? So that's when they're like, oh, no, they know about us in the forest. (laughs) Find my friends, you rats. Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, And 
this game does a really cool balance of it's super mechanical. There's a ton of choices and the game is clearly tracking like a, a lot ton. of, di- yeah, there's so many different things that have an impact later in the game. And it's a, it's a series of vignettes. So every, the first vignette is like arriving home and uh, speaking to the parents and finding your way to your bedroom. Uh, the second vignette is like getting on the bus and going to school and so on. And, uh, but every single one of these things can go so horribly wrong and they, they go, they go wrong in ways that are colored by the choice of animal that you make. So I do, I do think it'd be good for me to yeah. talk about some of the choices of animals that you get. Um, so like it starts off with, uh, and I have this one screenshotted here. Uh, the head will be responsible for vocal communication, socialization, fraternization, and situational and tactical awareness. They will serve as the commander of the operation and as such will be most responsible for successful reintegration with the gravity and responsibility of such a position in mind. We have chosen, says the bear, and then you can pick horseradish, an owl with impeccable linguistic and communicative faculties, chunks, a magpie who has spent significant time amongst humans and is known for their forthrightness and cunning, or sprinkles, a finch known for their affability and friendliness. <laughs> who did you choose? Who did you choose? Uh, personally, I chose uh, chunks for the uh, for the head. Uh, I chose Guillermo the rabbit, known for their grace and care under pressure for the. Uh, uh, for the body. Uh, and let's see. Uh, I think I chose Paul, a stoat who is renowned as the principal engineer uh, of the op- uh, op- of the offering replica project uh, <laughs> for the legs. Uh, I don't remember everyone that I choose, chose, but I did choose Sprinkles the Finch as uh, my commander. And each one of these decisions has an impact. So they all have sort of like a strength and a weakness. Uh, in their sort of the way that they're going to handle different situations and different situations require that individual that you chose to perform, to do their job correctly. So there are times when, you know, Charlie needs to talk to someone. So it's going to be whatever you chose as the head is going to be the one who like makes the decisions. Uh, There's a, you know, scenes where they have to perform like physical, like there's a, there's a scene where you can get on a bike and depending on who you chose to do the arms and the legs, you may or may not do well on that bike, depending on how well they, how confident they feel at maneuvering on a bike. Uh, and and each one of these is, it seems a scene for failure. This game has a ton of outcomes and it, it like, So much so that they do a really cool thing on the main page where you can, you know, they have like new game. You can save your game. There's a lot of different, like you can do different save states. You can replay different scenes. And then they have just a list that says, see all the outcomes, which I really appreciate. I have not done that yet because I want to continue playing this game. But I do love that. There seems to be so many that you probably would never really get to everyone unless you have like a spreadsheet where you're tracking everyone you choose and what choices you make at different times. Hmm. Uh, but highly this, replayable. Yeah. And this game is so funny though. The whole thing is funny, but also just they continue to point out like how much your choices impact things. Um, like uh, my, one of my playthroughs, I ended up failing because earlier in the game, there's a moment of downtime and you get to choose two people or two animals who are going to talk to each other. And you pick 
the two that want to talk to each other. And there's a full on story between these two. And I assume that is the case for every single web that you could think of this person talking to this person or animal, this animal talking to this animal. And it was that choice that actually led to my downfall later in the game because oh, I had no. chosen, because I had chosen this, uh, I think it was sprinkles to talk to Stragum, I think was his name. Um, and it was that choice that later, way later in the game had ramifications that resulted in Charlie not able to operate his legs in the middle of a presentation in front of, uh, the, his entire school. So, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so the game is, it's crazy. And it is for sure at this point, like my favorite game that I've played this year and one, one of my favorite games that I've played in all of IFCOM. I can't wait to give this a try. It sounds amazing. I want to throw a couple more like chunks of text out there. If we have time as you're, you know, in one of the first scenes, Charlie is exploring his house, uh, and I'll just give you this uh, text on, apropos of nothing. Charlie enters a shiny, unfamiliar room. A faint hint of chemicals pervades the room, as if its porcelain fixtures and metal surfaces were recently damp. Everything feels cold to the touch, particularly the floor. One wall contains a gateway to an identical room with an identical-looking boy in it. The squad has no idea what to do in here. <laughs> There's also, like, all the animals can tell that Charlie is occupied by animals <laughs> and so like there's random scenes with like the dog and like a mouse and all these things that are like you're not a human you're a human full of tiny animals which is so <laughs> funny and i thought i found that especially funny because right at the beginning they said explicitly that the that the replica was would look like sound like and smell like the real thing but clearly it does none of yeah. this <laughs> all of the <laughs> And the, the, my last point on this game, um, because I could probably talk about this for like an entire episode, is that this is a game that is a huge example to me of what interact, interactive fiction does that I don't think would really work in any other game. I mean, mm. you could maybe have some like images to go with it, but I think this game works so much better in your in your head. You're sort <laughs> of picturing yeah. what this replica looks like. You're picturing how these creatures fit inside the body and are and are mobilizing it. Um, it's just so much better that way. And if it was some sort of game where you actually had to like, I don't know, there was some graphic element to it where you're actually controlling Charlie and making all these choices. I don't think it would be as effective as these descriptions, like what uh, Shane just said. That sounds absolutely stunning. I cannot wait to play this. It sounds fantastic. Yeah. The the next game on our list for, for this episode uh, is one that I played and it's another uh, choice based twine based uh, game. Although it's much less, I guess um, uh, mechanical uh, than, uh, than Animalia. Uh, I played Dead Man's Fiesta, which I picked out to play mostly because I think it's a really damn good title. Uh, like, it's great. And it's another very Britishy game. So uh, Dead Man's Fiesta is a twine game about a... so you're, About a Ford Fiesta. It is, actually. Um, you, oh. <laughs> you, are, uh, you are playing as a, a guy um, who... I don't think it ever gives the main character a name. And it also doesn't give you a lot of detail about your main character. But your main character is grieving... I I think for his parents because he's grieving for two people at once. It doesn't give you a whole lot of information, but you've uh, you've just you're sort of grieving and very much concerned with the fact that you haven't really like come to terms with things yet. You're concerned that like you haven't cried yet. You're in this state where you're a bit in shock from the from the death or deaths, but you haven't. You're very aware that you're running out of bereavement leave and you haven't fully processed things yet. 
but the estate has finally discharged its money or whatever and given you some given you some uh, unexpected cash. And so you buy uh, like a 1995 Ford Fiesta. <laughs> I drive a Ford Fiesta, by the way. Do you really? <laughs> so this, this is very uh, this well, is very close to home. Perhaps you can give us some background. Yours, <laughs> I, I think, is probably a little different because as soon as he gets into the Fiesta, I mean, he buys it from uh, what seems to be a sort of distraught woman on what sounds like Craigslist or something. And um, as soon as he gets into the car, it's filthy. He starts cleaning it out. Um, you know, thinking about how he's going to sort of take a drive and it's going to help him with his grieving process. He's making his plans. And then he, uh, he cleans out the car and during the process, he looks in the back and there are three people in the car with him, uh, a fat man, a thin man, and a skeleton. Actually, and, this is exactly the same experience I had when I bought my Ford Fiesta. So. Sa- sounds about right. <laughs> so, so it turns out the Fiesta is haunted. He's just bought a dead man's Fiesta, and it is uh, it oh. is haunted by a sort of a three part ghost of a man. Um, the first sort of act, uh, it's divided into three acts, and the first act you're sort of preparing to mourn your parents, I think, or whoever, but you're constantly being distracted or or put off of the process that you're, you're, you're carefully orchestrated morning process by the fact that you have these three ghosts in your car. Um, so you, you know, you've planned to go to an amusement park, uh, and, uh, to, uh, you make choices about like, okay, I'm going to go to the, the place where I used to go to get ice cream with these people. And I'm going to go to the amusement park we shared together to, we enjoyed going to together. And at each of those places, you make decisions about, okay, where am I going to spread their ashes? Where am I going to, uh, read the poem that they loved together? Um, but in each of those circumstances, your your mourning process is made worse by the fact that you are haunted by these three ghosts. And so the second act is all about trying to figure out what's the deal with these three ghosts. So you talk to the people, that, to the lady that sold you the car, and you find out who the ghost was. And then you've decided you're going to kind of go to all the places that were meaningful to the dead guy who's in your car um, with an intent to try to find out, you know, to try to release his spirit so that you can use your car. Um it's and I won't go too much further than that with it because the the rest of it is mostly surprising and I thought really well written. Um, it's it's uh, it, it plays a little bit more or reads a little bit more like a literary fiction story with m- you know minor choices mostly having to do with like the order in which you do things and there are, are scenes that you can choose from. Particularly, I think in Act Two, there's multiple different options and you don't have time to get to all of them, so you kind of choose from a selection of scenes to play out. Um, at the end of the game, it does give you a score. I got two out of three ghosts. I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, I thought like a really solid, good, like a good, uh, sort of literary fiction story with a surreal bent. Um, and it's about mourning, but it's interesting because it's sort of about how like this main character through trying to understand these ghosts in his car, uh, kind of, kind of comes to understand his own mourning process or like, you know, tries to, uh, he was having trouble with his mourning process and, and somehow mourning this stranger, uh, helps him mourn his own, um, you know, loved ones. Um, it's a really nice piece. And I also would say that it, it's visually very nice. Um, they have very nice, uh, hand-drawn backgrounds for most of the scenes. So, you know, you might go to a diner or you're inside the Fiesta or what have you. And there's these fairly well illustrated, nicely colored backgrounds that are used throughout it. I thought it was very attractive. So it's a nice game and I really liked it. And it's about a half an hour. It's a really, uh, it's a good short 
uh, twine games. So if you're looking for something that's maybe a little less gamey and mechanical, a little more literary and uh, visually interesting and good writing and also Britishy, um, I would check <laughs> this one out. Yeah, that sounds really nice and um, relevant to me specifically. As a Fiesta owner, I, I, I'm, I think your vote should be counted multiple times. <laughs> yes. Exponentially. Uh, so the next game we have here is a game that I played. Um, it's called, very simply, Let's Rob a Bank. All cap locks. It is by Bethany Nolan, and it is exactly like it sounds. When marketing something like a game, a call to action yes honestly it's what made me select the game two things one the name was let's rob a bank and then two it is a game that says 15 minutes or less and that is true i played this game i think four or five times in about a half an hour so it's a real quick game and it's a choice-based game and you start out you know you're going to rob a bank you are the mastermind you are selecting your um, muscle, your getaway driver, and your distraction. For each of those, you have three choices. They all have pros and cons. Uh, kind of like Animalia we were talking about, but like heisty pros and cons. Like, ha- uh, you know, has uh, has a history of successful crimes, but also is narcoleptic. Um, so <laughs> silly, silly stuff like that. Uh, one of them was it like their con is, is racist. Um, oh. one of them there, uh, this is also a British game. So, uh, one of them was voted Tory has daddy issues. <laughs> so there's a, a, a pretty wide range of like pros and cons. Um, there's like a driver who their pro is, n- does not speak. And then their con is does not speak. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you basically, you, you, you set your, your crew and then you go and you start the heist and you have a, a series of options that, that come up from how the heist is going and how these individual characters are handling the situation. You make the choice and then you either rob the bank and get away or you don't. And at the end, it has a little stat sheet, and it's basically like three things. It's successfully robbed the bank, successfully got away, and then remaining crew members. Mm. (laughs) Uh, And depending on, you know, the choices you make and the people that you chose and and how that goes, you may or may not succeed. Uh, I think I – so I think I played it five times. I succeeded three times and failed – failed completely twice the success had various degrees of success uh and the successes can be like you know you robbed the bank and everyone got away okay it can also be like you're out the bank and you're the only survivor or two people survived and then the failures can be you all died in the street can be you were all arrested there's one strange one where the universe implodes in and on it on it in on itself and just the earth ceased to exist. <laughs> um, so it's a pretty wide range, uh, but it was Good fun. Heist. Yeah. I mean, this is like, I, I don't know. I do recommend playing it cause it's short. It's silly and it's fun. You know, it's really, really lightweight, especially once you understand how it goes, you can run through iterations really, really fast. Cause it's just, 
there's like two pages of the setup and then you just pick your team and you go. So that's why I was able to do so many so fast is you just go, 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 and just keep doing different things. It's fun. I, I recommend it. Awesome. And that's really all I have to say about it because it's it's pretty straightforward. It's simple. It's a good little IF game. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Actually, on that, it almost feels like a game. If they would just take a if if this if if Bethany Nolan would take a game like this, give it a full UI and like a little bit of animation with how these things play out. This could be a game that like it sells on the App Store. Like it's that quick and it's that fun and it's that silly that I think people would like to play a game like this. Um, more main, more widely spread than the interactive fiction community because it's that type of like quick action, fun, quick outcomes, you know, piece of candy video game. You just play it and play it. You laugh and you move forward. So I played something completely different from, I think, every other game in the comp. Uh, Junior Arithmenser. Uh, by Mike Spivey. And the reason it's different is it's mostly math puzzles. <laughs> Yay. Wow. I was the only one really excited about this game, but I'm so glad I played it. The only one bold enough to take on the challenge. Yeah, that's adorable. That's not for me at all. <laughs> no, but it was so for me. And and the, it was so for me that I literally, I started playing it. I loaded it by myself. I read the intro and I grabbed my husband. I was like, this is what we're doing tonight together. And he looked at it and was like, yes, this is what we're doing together tonight. I mean, (laughs) we're incredibly dorky. We like doing crossword puzzles before bed. I love you guys. Like on the iPad. So like doing math puzzles for um, a couple hours was what we wanted to do. And the specificity of these is what I really enjoyed. So there's a really light plot that you are – uh, trying to get into uh, school, and the idea is you must prove that you are capable of learning spells. So you cast different spells. Um, you see on the uh, kind of frames set up that you have a list of numbers for reference, like pi, e, the square root of two. And what the numbers are doesn't really matter. It matters that you've got, you know, 3.14159. And the idea is that you need to cast spells so you can get from one digit to another. You can go from three to one to four to one to five to nine. You can do these transformations. So as you go, you you start off by um, doing the spell to get to the first digit. And then you have to figure out, you know, oh, this spell I got is adding. This spell is Spoiler for the other spells, because adding is the first one, and the other <laughs> ones all are spoilers. Um, and, and the point is, you have to figure out what the spells are. You have to, you know, do all of the numbers. Um, but they also have tasks that are things like visit an imaginary numbered space. Um, visit a space with pale azure light. So there are, you know, numbers or things that mean things. You actually really don't have to know much about math, but you do have to know a lot about um, kind of transformations and think very creatively about numbers. Um, I'll say the plot is very light. It's probably the lightest thing about it. The fun part about it is that um, the moderators for the test have accidentally like leaned on the intercom button. So they're having conversations. And each time you get a little <laughs> further, you get a little bit more of the talk with the teachers. Um, also... Uh, due to the drama, there's different levels of um, passing for each person. <laughs> like 
people have different motivations. When you do different things, you win over the test, um, the teachers for the test. So you don't have to necessarily 100% this game to get into the school. Um, we got to 79 points out of 100. I saved it. Something's gone wrong with a file and I'm not sure why. So I will not be going back in 100%ing as I intended to, but if you are a puzzle person, if this sounded interesting, you're going to like it because it's very carefully done. Um, there are prefix puzzles where you can put kind of a, a moderator before the spell so you can kind of do two things at once. Um, there are hints. So if you are trying to figure out what something does and you do something impossible, they'll substitute zero or something like that to make it work. Hmm. Um, so they do a lot of things to give you hints at, without actually giving away the puzzle. Um, and there's points and there is um, good content. If you do something that is, you know, impossible, but interesting, like if, because I think he thought a lot about how people might, you know, try different things. There's a lot of points for experimenting. Um, you know, one of the spells is visit a space. which number is larger than 2 billion, but you can kind of get an overflow, like a calculator that explodes if you try to do things too late. Mm. So you have to figure out the order of things. Um, but I think uh, it's it sounds very abstract because I'm trying very hard not to spoil it. But um, I think the spells you get and the order you get them in are very wise. It doesn't give you too powerful of a spell too early. So at the beginning, you're only able to go three digits deep. And by the time you start unlocking spells, you start realizing like how powerful the game is, how much time he really took uh, to uh, make this. Um, I've never played a parser game that had that was basically like playing with a calculator. Hmm. But you got text in return. And the text would also be things like you're in, you have reached eight. The light is pale and gray and gives off a hint of lemon or something like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> that like, sounds wild. That all, all the traits of numbers he's mapped to colors and to light quality. And uh, as you solve more and more, you start learning more about kind of this fake world. It felt like real magic space. And like, he'd spent a lot of time balancing hmm. light on the plot, but very deep on the puzzles. You know what? It, the more you were talking about it, um, it kind of made me think of human resource machine is to yes. programming as like, this is to math. Like you don't need to know those. The game gives you everything you need to know, but I guess it's helpful if you're into programming or if you're into math, you don't need any math past, you know, multiplying and dividing really. <laughs> okay. And you could have a count. We had a, we kept using the, um, the, not the terminal, but um, the spotlight, you know, calculator built into our Mac to keep yeah. multiplying things and testing out things. Hmm. But um, a lot of it was us just staring at numbers and someone going, oh, 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 if we do star and then plus and minus and cat this. like. And at some point we had a revelation of, um, again, it's a huge spoiler, but we realized how two spells were related and we felt like both geniuses and idiots at the same time. And that's all I want from a puzzle is that you realize that like, you're so smart for getting it, but also an idiot for not realizing it sooner. That's mm. a, that's why I play puzzle games. That's yeah. delightful. That really is a, a good summary of, of, of the perfect puzzle. It's the feeling of being uh, 
being just a little bit behind, but being led, you know, it's great. Yeah. And it, it's really nice because um, you can get ahead and you can speed up, but it gets complex enough that you do need to slow down, um, but you don't ever feel like it's artificially gated. Terrific. Puzzle fans have their game, I think. Math people, please play this. It is for you. Awesome. Yeah. The, it is who, for us. Whoever made this game is like, you know, when they're making this game, they're like, Somewhere out in the world, there is a couple who this is what they're going to do before they go to bed. And that is you <laughs> and Justin. So, And I sent this game to my puzzle friends in Seattle and was like, hey, puzzle friends, this oh. is also for you. Awesome. Um, well, in a similar vein, when I am scanning through the list of IF Comp games, anything that involves romance in the description I'm immediately like, okay, add to my personal list of oh, to play. Oh, you love right? love so much. I do, right? I'm I'm such a ham, and uh, so that's why I picked out to play Railways of Love. Um, Railways of Love is by Provodnik Games, and um, it is not at all what I was expecting, uh, or rather, it kind of was. It's very weird. Um, Railways of Love. First of all, it's a choice based game, but it's not. It's very custom. It's not based in like Twine or any of the things that you see a lot of. You know, a lot of the tools. This is um, I'm pretty sure like totally custom, designed for mobile uh, experience by a Russian developer. And so it's uh, visually kind of interesting. It has this sort of uh, interesting sort of dark hued like uh, teal colored aesthetic with pixel art. Um, and the game plays out where you're playing through your design. You're intended to play it through several times. And, uh, each time that you play through the game, you're playing through a conversation had on a train between this man and this woman. The, the man's named Abel. The woman's name is escaping me at the moment, but that's okay. Um, so you're playing out this conversation and you're, you're essentially playing the role of uh, well, according to the description, you're playing the role of fate, which basically means that you get to pick random things that happen during their conversation. Uh, and occasionally you get to pick things that the characters say in conversation, but not exactly. You're more sort of guiding the conversation rather than specifically choosing how it goes. And uh, it's it got a few very interesting things about it, um, uh, other than just the visuals, which I think are unique for, for one of the games in the comp. Uh, so it looks cool. Um, one is that it's got an interesting setting. Um, so it's uh, it's set in... I think it's, there's a lot of things about this game that are very Russian, or at least strike me as very Russian. Maybe that's prejudiced of me in some way. I apologize, Russians. But one of the things about this that seemed very Russian is that it takes place in this sci-fi, I guess, utopia, maybe, where there's this progress program where uh, things are being robotized and mechanized. And this progress program is spreading from the big cities out into the countryside. And you're on your way from a big city out to the countryside where one of the characters lives. Um, the, the, it, it's sort of understood that if these characters don't connect, they don't fall in love by the, or, you know, express their love to one another by the end of this uh, train ride, that they'll never see each other again. Um, and uh, uh, there are many, many places in the story uh, where you have the option to choose, you know, Abel confesses to what's her name, or she confesses to him, um, or they confess to each other. And in every case where you choose that, in a very Russian romance way, it's just not the right moment. It's not the right time. Um, you can choose it, but it doesn't happen. Um, but you're trying to arrange things in the conversation so that they do. Um, and every time the, the story ends, you learn a little bit more about the characters. Um, things go wrong in, in, in increasingly interesting ways. Where this gets weird is... so. Mostly the things that are going wrong, the things that you can pick in, in the story to kind of guide the conversation are things like 
does the uh does the person come in and take the tickets at the beginning of the train ride or at the end does he come back later to check on them um do the lights stay on the whole time or do they cut out do they cut out early in the train ride or late in the train ride um you know that sort of thing and depending on what order these things happen in it sets up the circumstances where where you know things can either go very well or they can go very badly and you learn different things about the characters backstories as you learn things about the characters backstories what's really interesting about this game is it becomes more and more obvious that maybe they actually shouldn't be together or shouldn't shouldn't fall in love for example um reagan are you okay <laughs> maybe <laughs> so like at one point you have a choice to decide whether or not to have tea and if you reagan do- just tur- reagan just turned off his camera so we can't see him weeping we think he's just crying because he's so sad these characters can't end up together i, I don't like what romance games love? where the romance doesn't work out guys happy ever after or death <laughs> <laughs> it's very Russian. So so you can choose, for example, whether these characters have tea. And when you decide to have tea, oh, well, in as they're having tea, Abel says something extremely misogynist. <laughs> and they oh, no! and they go their separate ways and never speak to each other again. Um, that's something I kind of thought was kind of odd about this. Like, I, I, this is almost a side note. But like, in general, in choice based games, I think it's really weird when you have a choice that reveals something about the character that you don't like. And then you're supposed to kind of go back and play through that same scenario again. And like, oh, uh, I mean, if we play through this again, and we don't have tea, then Abel isn't a misogynist. No, we now know that Abel has these feelings and beliefs like you can't just erase that. Uh, it's weird. You can unmilkshake duck. Yeah, <laughs> you can't do. You can't. You can't put the milkshake back in the duck. Um, no, you cannot. That duck is milkshaked up. Yeah, and that was awkward. And also, Reagan, you, do you think that the, in this scenario, milkshakes come out of ducks? <laughs> yeah, I, I think they do. <laughs> That's how I've uh, always understood it. Yeah, the milkshake duck produces milkshakes in its milkshake bladder, right? Yep. That's why it's That's problematic. Exactly. Yes. Very problematic. Don't drink those yep. milkshakes. It's called foie gras, Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been on the internet. We understand how this works. Yeah. So like it's 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 weird. It's it's also a translation from Russian. Um and I'm I think a lot of the weirdness of the um of the writing like there's a lot of weird turns of phrase in it and things where like sometimes you'll get a sentence that's very poetic and other sentences are very casual sounding and it just it's got a little bit of that like translationiness to it. So it's kind of odd in the in the prose. But what I guess what I guess really stuck with me, okay, I, I am going to spoil this. So if you don't want spoilers for, I played to six of the seven endings of the game. Um, and I'm about to spoil the quote unquote, I suppose, good ending, or at least the love ending or romance ending. What I thought stuck with me about the game, what I thought was most interesting about it was the way that that ending played out. And so I'm about to spoil it. So if you don't want a spoiler on this game, you can go ahead and skip forward a minute. Um, in terms of like whether I think you should, um, I, I think it's a neat game. I think you probably should play it if you are interested in, uh, in you know where these sorts of things are going. In in uh, in like for example, if you're interested in well the Russian interactive fiction scene, this is the first thing I've seen from it. It's pretty interesting. Um, it it probably won't end up in my like top ten list, but it was interesting. And the most interesting thing was the ending. And I'm just going to read you. This is the good ending. This is the text that you see when you finally do get Abel, the man who. I think has a wife uh, and um, and the the female protagonist who has a daughter waiting for her at home. And you learn this only through like you don't learn this in the first couple of playthroughs, but you discover this stuff. But if you do decide that they do get together, what's struck me as very Russian romance novel 
of it is that it destroys their lives. So here's the, uh, here's the, the, the love ending. One moment they will wake up and look around. They will see that the greedy flame burned their previous lives to ashes. And they are two naked and vulnerable people standing alone on smoldering ruins. I'm like, and that, that was, that's the good ending. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's, it's a, it's a neat game. Um, it's, it probably won't make my top 10 list. Um, maybe that's just because of the sorts of things that I like. I tend to tend to gravitate towards a lot of the really traditional IF stuff. Um, but interesting, very Russian game about, about, you know, a communist seeming dystopia with a progress program and hover trains and domed cities and stuff. So for the last game, we're going to talk about on this episode, um, this is a game that uh, myself and Laura both played, and it's called Plus Equals X, and it's by Chandler Groover, who is a bit of an all-star in the IF comp scene. So uh, his name, you'll see all over the place for a lot of uh, uh, fantastic games, and also, because they do these in alphabetical order, Plus Equals X is at the top of the list. That is why they do the randomizer button, so you don't have to go by that order. But you see Chandler Groover's name at the very top of the list, and of course, we have to play it. Nice try, all you A games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Such as Animalia. Right. Um, it, it's a strange little game. Well, I don't know. Laura, how would you describe it? I feel like I, I'm going to stumble over it. So I read the series Machine of Death, Um which is by some webcomic folk. Um, oh yeah, Ryan I, North, I think. Uh, no, uh, it was it's a guy who does um, Wondermark, uh, David Malky. Mm. Um, Ryan North might have been involved in it, but uh, David Malky was the main force behind it. And it, that one was about a machine that um, when you go up to it, predicted your death. This game is uh, about you kind of click and drag up a blank pieces into a machine and then the wizard makes two marks and you get a symbol you like uh, yeah it's like a verdict on your life so it seems this is a future dystopian type situation where there's some sort of underground fortune teller that selects citizens at to ran- visit it yeah to visit it and i at random and then i put Parent, you know, quotes around at, at random, random, at random, and when they visit it, it writes their fortune, and I, it seems that their fortune is either they're going to live or die, and it's doing it for the betterment of society, and, and the whole game is these little vignettes where you are either someone receiving the letter and going to visit the fortune teller, or a private investigator who's trying to figure out like get in a little bit deeper and figure out how this machine is making its choices and why it's doing it. It's extraordinarily stark. Every screen has only a few sentences before you take an action. Um, It's, it's almost like the pace doesn't feel like a quick cut, but it feels like kind of those little uh, montages where you get a little bit of someone's life and then it fades to black and you get someone else's life and then it fades to black. Like that's what this entire game feels like. It's, it's very, very short. Um, it, you may think you have, you don't have choice. You have fate. You choose one of three blank slips of paper and there's no, 
power in it. And that's kind of the point. Yeah, I couldn't tell if that was random or the fates of the people that you're deciding or that you are playing as are predecided and the game wants you to feel like you have like a random choice. I don't know. I I think that it's nice that you don't know, just as you don't know if the machine is fixed or not. Right. And I think that's part of the point. Um, And it's just these little moments where it's like someone's in the middle of their their life and they get this letter just appears and it's like, oh, shit. (laughs) you got chosen and then they have to go and see their fate from this fortune teller. Um, and that's really the whole game. I, we won't really spoil the ending cause there is an ending. Um, and it does wrap up in kind of a conclusion though. Like most of the game, it's still a little obscure and hard to understand exactly what's going on, but I, it's, it's cool. You know, I, I, I think for like a little sci-fi dystopian, interactive fiction game it's worth playing i i always think chandler gruber stuff is worth playing even when he does something like a little um slighter or less um uh, involved it's always worth it just for his language which is always so like he he's a master of this like very sort of minimalist and yet very weird expressive style uh, last year was eat me was like real damn weird and I don't know. All of his stuff is is good and interestingly written. I I think he's always always worth playing, even if he's doing something that is maybe less like um, uh, epic than some of the other stuff in the comp. Totally, it's strange, quick, it's fun. Well, fun's not the right word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, um, I it's like easy, the it's free. I like the interface of it. I haven't played very much of it, but I like the interface of it. That's mostly about sort of dragging and dropping things onto words in the text. Yeah, is that a new... So, I played... We're not going to get to it in this one, but I played two games that are doing this thing where you click yeah. and drag a box to make it point to a word in the in the script. I feel like I had not seen that before, and now yeah, I've seen two I have games. to go back and check my notes because a few years back, that was a new tool that I hadn't tried out. And I said, live on the air, I think I'm going to try this, and maybe next year I'll enter. And, of course, I did nothing with it. But th- that was the tool uh, that. Oh, okay. It's uh, it's called texture, and um, we yeah. I've definitely seen a couple other things in the comp use it. I think last year there was a game I am looking through, and I don't remember what it was. So I don't remember I don't remember what game it was last year, but I remember it use it being being used at least once in a game that I've played before. I think it's a nice looking system. It's uh, it reminds me a lot of Twine, but maybe a little bit more sort of interactive a little less like clicky linky and a little more like draggy droppy (laughs) nailed it yep Uh, all right so so that's all we're gonna cover for uh this episode um but we have played more and we're gonna play more and again let us know if uh you want to hear a certain game that you've already played because yeah we're gonna have another episode out in a week or less uh we have other games that we've played and are looking forward to talking about i have other games on my list that i'm looking forward to playing in the next few days so uh if comp is ongoing for several more weeks we're gonna have at least one more episode maybe as many as two more episodes out before the end of the competition let us know what you've played that's interesting and we can't wait to hear about it before we sign off and go i'll play some more interactive fiction apart from the if this week uh what's been making you happy this week we uh, do this segment every every week laura what's been making you happy this week well because i guess because i played a math puzzle game i supplemented by reading books so if after all of this reading you want more reading i am here for you 
And I will wholeheartedly recommend two books. Uh, one is called Spinning Silver by Naomi Nobik. She writes the Napoleonic Wars with Dragons series, um, which you might have heard of. Uh, and she also has written, um, this is her second book talking about retelling of fairy tales. And she does Rumpelstiltskin um, kind of in uh, like a Jewish Russia, Poland area. And it's really interesting because the idea is basically uh, this moneylender's daughter. He's a terrible, terrible, terrible moneylender. And she learns to, you know, go after and collect the money herself and hardens her heart. And people are kind of worried about what she's turning into. But uh, some kind of magical beings here that she can, you know, turn silver into gold through her financial management skills and decide that, uh, you know, basically the magical beings come and bring her silver. They're like, you have a week to turn this to gold. And what makes it really good is that's, and how she gets out of that is the first half of the book. And the rest of the four is what happens after the, the fairy tale. She's an immensely good writer. Um, it's an exquisite book. It's called Spinning Silver. But if you want something lighter, the book that kept me from playing more of the IF comp than I should have played this week uh, is The Hollow of Fear, which is the third book in the Lady Sherlock series. Uh, mm -hmm. Sherry Thomas is um, – she apparently is a romance writer, but I first came to her with her these mystery books. And it's what if Sherlock Holmes was really this kind of like plump – uh, you know, she, she talks about maximum chins, Charlotte Holmes, <laughs> because she loves eating pastries, but she's like, people are going to think I'm just like an, an idiot fatso if I eat too much. She talks about like carefully eating enough pastries to keep like between 1.3 and 1.6 chins. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, because she's, she's kind of analytical about everything. Like she loves food. But she has to think about it at that level. She's thinking that level on everything. Um, she's the brain of Sherlock Holmes, but the body of this like blonde ringlet, like Gibson girl, um, you know, lady. Much healthier addictions than Holmes. Much healthier addictions. Uh, and this is the third book in the series. Uh, all three are just delightful because they take all the tropes of Sherlock Holmes and they kind of bury them throughout the book. Um, a lot of Sherlock Holmes stuff is are pointing very heavily like, look, look here, we made a Sherlock Holmes reference. And here, if I hadn't quite read, you know, watched all the adaptations, I wouldn't have gotten it. But it's also just exquisitely fun um, because uh, she – you know, there's a little bit of a slow burn romance over several books, but this third book, the reason why I stayed up late is because something happens that is so scary and fearful that Charlotte Holmes stops eating pastries. <gasps> she is scared. What? She loses her appetite and everyone's like, oh my God, Charlotte isn't eating. This is bad. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you've so invested in her character that you're like, oh man, this book is serious. <laughs> like... This one is actually going to hurt things. Um, so if you want to know what mystery stopped Charlotte Holmes, a.k.a. Sherlock Holmes, from eating, you know, she kind of pretends like Sherlock Holmes is this invalid who can't get out of bed in the other room, and she's his secretary. <laughs> and she goes in the other room and fake consults with him and comes back out. It's all delightful. Um, yeah, that book, I got my notification that it was at the library for me. I walked to the library, picked it up, walked back, got stuck in a rainstorm, Hit up mm. in a cafe, read, and then was like, oh, no, 
this is a work day. <laughs> I have to go back to work now. I can't just wait out the rainstorm with my coffee in this wonderful book. So um, I endorse those two books and also reading in the rain and forgetting to go back to work. I stayed late. I'm a responsible person. <laughs> Sounds absolutely lovely. I'll share. Mine is going to be very quick. Uh, the thing that made me happiest this week uh, was a birthday gift that I gave myself months and months ago. Um, I, uh, uh, many months ago I ordered or pre-ordered a analog super NT. So for, uh, for folks who aren't like ear to the ground on super nerdy retro gamey stuff, um, analog is a company that makes extremely high end fancy remakes of classic consoles. Basically they've done the NES before. And then the super NT is there, is there one for the super NES, this SNES, um, their their thing is making uh, consoles that are based on FPGAs, which stands for Field Programmable Gate Arrays. So not to go into too much uh, nerdy detail here, but basically rather than being an emulation box where it's got maybe like an Android-based thing that runs ROMs, uh, this is a – it's new, all new hardware. It's very nice looking. It's a really nice little piece of technology, really beautifully made, uh, almost like Apple-level design and packaging stuff. Super, super fancy. But at the core of it is this very large, very fancy chip called an FPGA. FPGAs are – basically, you can think of it as a gigantic chip that can internally reconfigure all of its little bits to simulate the chips that would have been part of something else. So they're used a lot in uh, in manufacturing and things like that where they need to very quickly create uh, hardware that – you know, you you don't have to build a whole new circuit board. You reconfigure this one chip and it does the work of a whole circuit board. Well, they're doing that, but basically they've got a gigantic chip that pretends to be a whole collection of other chips that would have made up a Super NES. Almost perfect hardware recreation of an SNES with zero lag, uh, but all the modern conveniences you expect, like being able to plug it into your big fancy HDTV over HDMI and get beautiful sound and beautiful picture. And this thing is astonishing. Uh, you know, you, you pay for this, it's, uh, but it's cheaper than the, uh, I, I bought their, um, their NES version as well. That thing was close to $500. The Super NT, they've somehow brought the price down to $189, which for this thing, it's a bargain. If you think about like what it would cost to buy an SNES, you know, in good condition and, you know, like looking nice and then the various stuff to get really good video and audio quality out of it, like the best possible video and audio quality out of it in a digital thing into a nice flat screen TV, you'd be spending close to that anyway. So this thing is actually a little bit of a deal. If you want to play SNES games today, this is now the gold standard of how to play an SNES game. Do not play it on a regular SNES. This will play with a hundred percent compatibility, better audio, better video, it's stunning. And it's $189, which is kind of expensive if you're thinking about picking up, like comparing this to something like a, like a Super NES Classic Edition. The, the like. But if you are kind of serious about something that you can plug physical cartridges into or run games off of an SD card and it runs exactly as it would on actual hardware, but better, this is the thing to get. And um, uh, I... It finally arrived for me after months of pre-order, but if you're looking for one right now, they ship in 24 to 48 hours, which is amazing because they've been, they've been backordered for months and months and months. So I was very, very excited to get mine. And if this is a thing that you think would be interesting to you, I would maybe go ahead and pick one up because they probably are going to go out of stock again. You've convinced me. I've bought three. You've convinced me. I'll use yours. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Uh, Shane, what's making you happy this week? 
Uh, well, both of them are, I, I have too many things because they are all things that I, I'm a 33 year old man as of today. And so I am, uh, <laughs> if I wish to open things for my birthday, if I want to receive things for my birthday, then I will, um, I will open and receive them, uh, having purchased them for myself. So, um, <laughs> uh, today for my birthday, I went down to a, uh, Houston record store convention or, uh, record trading convention. Uh, where a bunch of kind of crate diggers from all over Houston come together with all their many piles of records and just put them out with prices and in a big hotel ballroom and you can walk around and buy uh, any of the records that you see that you like. And I went in with absolutely nothing specific in mind, uh, but I came out with what I have already gotten so much joy out of, and that is um, a uh, as-yet-unidentified Japanese pressing of a Godzilla soundtrack, which I took home and played, and it rules. <laughs> uh, I, I have always been a big fan of Godzilla, uh, in particular the kinds of Godzillas that you know were ubiquitous on broadcast TV when we, when I was a kid, which would be mainly the kind of uh, mid you know seventies style ones, where it's just like a pile of monsters all in one movie and a plot that makes no sense. Mm. And um, so I'm like. 75% sure that this is the soundtrack from Godzilla versus Gigan, uh, who's the guy with the hooks on his hands oh, and yeah. the Ray-Bans on. Um, but I'm not 100% sure. King Ghidorah is in the background and uh, baby Godzilla is on the back. So, <laughs> um, well, it's got that great sound. I wish I could play some of it for you now. Uh, but it starts off with a classic Godzilla intro where you know, slowly the drums are fading in. Boom, boom, boom. Are they drums or are they footsteps? Boom, <laughs> boom. And then Godzilla goes, <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you to send me a clip of this audio, but now I think you've captured it. Yeah, no, that's about it. Uh, but it's got everything I love about Godzilla soundtracks, especially from that era. It's got uh, like some, uh, you know, four on the floor, Japanese pop. Uh, it's got some uh, weird ballads that are also uh, completely beyond me to understand. Uh, and it's got a lot of like just really good uh, battle music where it's just like, you know, you, 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 you just need to find any Godzilla movie. and You'll find this sort of triumphal big band battle music that they go with. And uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm loving that. Um, the other thing that I have enjoyed is i Bought myself even more magic cards. <laughs> Getting in on this Guilds of Ravnica, guys. Guilds of Ravnica is a good set uh, if you're interested in Magic's The Gatherings. Um, and, uh, you know, there's one more thing, and that is something that Reagan actually gave me for, I think, our birthday last year, which is he gave me a copy of the, the video game Prey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Reagan. I know it took me a year to get around to playing this gem. Uh, I think you gave me your copy after you finished it and said, please play this. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that lines. too. Yeah, it's it been game. a while. Uh, yeah, it is a good game. It's a real good game. And, uh, you know, I can't recommend it enough. It's probably easy to get now. Uh, I'm probably, I'm blowing through it. I might even do the DLC, which I hear is great. Yeah, the DLC, I haven't gotten around to it yet either, but it seems really cool. They took the, like... Well, you haven't gotten around to it because I took your copy. That's also true. Uh, 
no, I think I, I think I sent you my copy because I think there was a sale and I picked up a digital copy or something. So I think I still got access. Um, it's uh, the DLC is like uh, takes the uh, very story driven um, sort of Bioshocky or um, maybe uh, dishonored y. Uh, I forget what you even call that genre. It's on the tip of my tongue. Immersive sim. Thank you. It takes this as immersive sim style, but turns it into a, uh, into a roguelike where you play through like a, a set scenario, but as various different characters trying to survive different scenarios. It seems super neat. I really want to try that DLC. Uh, Dishonored is whale punk. If you remember, <laughs> uh, I, I, Sure. <laughs> Why not? Well, then this is space punk. Is Why can we? Is everything punk, guys? Yes. Everything. All things punk. are punk. Nate, what is making you punk this week? <laughs> All right. Rapid fire one. I was not on the Wander Song episode, but I love that game. It's so good. I, yeah, I could not be on it because of uh, scheduling things, but. I did play that game. Right oh, follow up from that. Um, we got some uh, some feedback from Anna Anthropy uh, on Twitter, who let me know that. And I should have gone back and played that segment of the game. If you remember during the uh, during the episode, we were like unsure of the gender identity of the uh, of the accordionist character, and she said uh, that sh- that the accordionist is explicitly uh, non-binary, and they used they pronouns for the gen- the accordionist throughout the game, which I didn't pick up on, I guess. I none of us did, but that's it's good to know. So thanks to Anna Anthropy for uh for for letting us know about that and uh um, We won't misgender future characters. Sorry about that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh so I love that game and recommend it as much as you all did on that episode. Uh two, I went to today the St. Louis Pizza Festival. It was awesome. And so uh, hungry. it's exactly what it sounds like. And Y'all's three, pizza's good. Yeah. Uh and three, I I know I'm a little late on this boat because everyone talked about it for the first couple of weeks it came out. Uh, the Spider-Man game, I've been playing a lot of that. The PS4 Spider-Man game, it's awesome. So if you have time to play that game, I highly recommend it. That's what I've been doing. So yeah. Making me happy. I want to get around to that as soon as I as soon as I can find that game for $30. That's my that's <laughs> my that's where I'm at. I mean it's yeah, I understand that. It is a big budget game and it shows in the game though. I mean it is it is cool, especially if you like Spider-Man, uh, which I do, and it is awesome. I'm only like 10 hours into it because, you know, we have a whole show about short games and it's hard for me to f- find time for these big games. But when I have been, it is fun. It You really feel like Spider-Man. I haven't played many of these open world, like, here's a checklist of things to do games. Um, the Really, the only one I've played before this was Infamous Second Son, which is like one of the launch titles of PS4, so it's been a while. But I love that game, and this game makes me feel, or reminds me of that one, only it's Spider-Man instead, and it's awesome. So, That's awesome. Yep. Yeah, Sony's been doing a great job with the uh, with the first-party exclusives. Um, Spider-Man and the God of War sort of semi-reboot, and you know, they've they've been putting out stuff that's been pretty universally liked. Um, so, yeah. you know, way it's to go, fun. Sony. It, it, it's just fun and all that sort of open worldy stuff that I know can be kind of tired on, I guess, like the Assassin's Creed, uh, you know, weekly release. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I know that, but I, I don't know this one. It just it's Spider-Man. So it, it works, I guess. It just feels like Spider-Man. So 
It's worth it. Looking forward Check to giving that a try. Well, so thank yeah. you so much, listeners, for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, as we said earlier, we're going to be uh, following this up with more IF Comp very soon. Nice thing about IF Comp is there's lots of little short games. We can get these episodes out to you very quickly and regularly, probably more regularly than our normal regular episodes. So expect us again very soon in your pod device. And thank you uh, for uh, for your tips about the the show. We've uh, we always appreciate help covering IF Comp because there's so many games. Uh, so we reach out to some of our uh, IF community friends, but our listeners are another great resource. Let us know what you're playing in IF Comp if you are, and uh, let us know what's interesting, what's not interesting, uh, and. Um, uh, listen next week. We'll be back with a bunch more interesting short games from IF Comp. Also, after IF Comp, uh, we're trying to do more of this where we announce what we're doing next a little farther in advance. After IF Comp, we're planning an episode on uh, arcade games on Switch. So it'll be another sort of grab bag episode where we're going to be the uh, the Switch has become a really interesting place to play uh, classic arcade games. There are hundreds of classic arcade game releases on Switch today. And so what we're interested in is if you have a classic arcade game that is out on Switch that you love for any reason, maybe you loved it back in the day, maybe you've discovered it more recently, maybe it's a part of a collection that you've picked up and you thought it was cool, uh, let us know what those games are and we'll try to cover them in our uh, overview of classic arcade games on Switch. Um, so that's coming up pretty soon too. Let us know. Uh, the best ways to get in touch with us are on Twitter at underscore short game or at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find our contact form as well as our show notes page where you can search. We've got a huge back catalog of episodes if you're interested in something, including all of our past coverage of IF Comp and interactive fiction generally. Go back on there and check out some of the uh, great games from last year if you're interested uh, or all the way back to 2015. Uh, you can find me on the internet at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K on Twitter. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at NateSTL. And Shane, where can people find you? Also Twitter at 8BitShane. And thanks so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Short Game.